0: Please stand as we read from God's word this morning. We'll be reading from 2 Corinthians eleven sixteen 16 through 12, 6. I repeat, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do, accept me as a fool, so that I too may boast a little. What I am saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. For you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves, for you bear it if someone makes you make slaves of you, or devours you, or takes advantage of you, or puts on airs, or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman, with far greater labors far more imprisonments with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, and toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, and hunger and thirst, often without food, and cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak? Am I not weak? Who is made to fall? Am I not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and the, the Father of the Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Aretas was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows.
1: Thank you, Dylan, for reading. Before I get started, I just gotta say, this sermon was especially joyous and fun to write. Um, They're always fun to write, but this one was just all the more so. And I really, I need to credit this to the many people who have been praying for me Uh, because things came to me that normally don't come this easily. And so I just thank you to those who've been praying. So let's start with a prayer. God, thank you for this passage, for the book of 2 Corinthians, for the many things we are learning from Paul. I ask that this message would be true to your word and that it would be helpful to the people of Westgate. Help us to live for you. Help us to boast in weakness. I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've watched shows like Planet Earth or you've ever turned on National Geographic, then you've probably seen footage of animals fighting, Uh, not prey and predator, but animals of the same kind fighting one another. Ram fighting ram, lion fighting lion. It's that competitive behavior which is recognized as part of animal social structures and sometimes can be referred to as dominance hierarchy. The idea being that certain animals can understand that there are ranks, that there are those who are dominant those who are submissive. And for there to be a change in rank, sometimes it requires conflict. However, that's not only how animals act. People can act like that too, right? But that's not how we should be acting. Apparently, these super apostles in Corinth boasted a lot about themselves and had a lot of negative things to say about Paul. And in their mind, they were waging this war against Paul to discredit him and establish their own rank and authority. And as we'll see, Paul finds this whole way of acting utterly foolish. There should be no dominance hierarchy among people, much less the church. But because his readers are so caught up in this way of thinking, Paul stoops to their level and participates in their boasting to show them just how foolish it is. It's like Paul has to become something other than himself to get through to them. And I imagine it would feel something like changing out of a nice three-piece suit and instead dress up as a clown to be taken seriously. He has to trade his tie for face paint and his Oxfords for clown shoes. Only then can he begin to make his point. And his point in all of this is to show them that they've got it all wrong. Boasting in worldly things like power and ability is foolish. If they must boast, the best form of boasting is in weakness, which is a countercultural way of thinking, and is far from anything these super apostles were doing. Starting in chapter 11 and going through chapter 12, Paul takes some extra time to address this issue of boasting. And I think a helpful guide to these chapters is the following question. Why should Christians boast in weakness? Why should we boast in weakness? In chapters 11 and 12, I think we're given two answers, a negative way to answer and a positive way to answer. And today we're covering the negative answer. Why should we boast in weakness? Because to boast in anything else in the worldly stuff is foolish. And next week we'll hear the positive answer. Why should we boast in weakness? Because our weakness demonstrates God's power. That's to come. Now, what I want to suggest to you is that Paul's writing here in chapter 11 reads like a parody. And just so we're clear, here's the definition of parody. It is an imitation of the style or particu- of a particular writer, artist, or genre with deliberate ex- exaggeration for comic effect or ridicule. And as we'll see, it's the ridicule piece that Paul is leaning into. And with that said, here's the map for this morning. In chapter 11, verses six to 12, we have the preface to the parody. And then in chapter 11, verses 21 to 29, we have the parody. And then lastly, in chapter 11, verse 30, to chapter 12, verse six, we have the point of the parody. So if you wanna be real concise, it's just the preface, the parody, and the point. In the first five verses of this section, Paul is abundantly clear that boasting is foolish. That's what he's going to say. It's foolish. Look at verse 17. He says, What I am saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. So I'm sure you've heard the phrase, What would Jesus do? It's a helpful little phrase that captures the, the basics of the Christian ethic. Well, in verse 17, I think Paul's pointing that what he's doing is contrary to living like Jesus. In other words, if Paul were to ask, what would Jesus do? He'd say, not this, not what I'm about to do for you guys. And to confirm it all the more, he points out in verse 18, that what people normally do is boasting according to the flesh. And in chapter 10, we learn that part of the accusations leveled against Paul was that he was walking according to the flesh. So now, verse 18, you can clearly say, it's other people who do this, but in order to get through to you, I'm going to do it too. And verse 19 gives us a reason why. Why he takes this route. He says, for you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. Paul feels like he has to play the fool because they gladly put up with fools. And notice the sarcasm there. You guys are being wise doing this. And we can say this because wisdom and foolishness do not sit comfortably together. Foolishness is the antithesis of wisdom. But here are the Corinthians gladly bearing with fools because they are being foolish themselves. And to draw this out, Paul explains how they are being foolish by noting what they bear from these fools, what they wrongly tolerate from these false apostles. Read verse 20 with me. It says, For you bear it if someone else makes you slaves, or devours you, or takes advantage of you, or puts on airs, or strikes you in the face. So there's five terrible things spoken of there. And if you just read the verbs, you get the sense of the character of the teachers that he's dealing with in Corinth. They make slaves, they devour, they take advantage, they put on airs and they strike. Now what does put on airs mean? We'll we'll get to that. Uh, Very quickly, I want to share with you how one scholar characterizes these actions. I think these categories help us understand each of these. So here are his five. He says, domination exploitation, entrapment, haughtiness or self-exaltation, and insult. Together, those five characteristics construct an image of the kind of people and behavior we shouldn't tolerate, especially within church leadership. To think back of the image of the rams fighting, the lions fighting, the dominance hierarchy at work. Verse 20, we get the sense that these false leaders are comfortable establishing their dominance at the expense of other people. They have no problem setting up a sort of dominance hierarchy in Corinth. And so Paul hits two birds with one stone by calling out the false leaders and his readers to show them this terrible list so they can see for themselves just how terrible these people have been treating them. And in verses 13 to 15, Paul made a huge claim going back, which was that the leaders who were boasting in their work were actually false apostles and quite possibly servants of Satan. This is the end of verse 15. He says, Their end will correspond to their deeds. Well, in verse 20, Paul is giving us a list of their deeds. Not only are they boasting, but they're bullies. But he also mainly gives this list to call out his readers to say, you put up with this foolish garbage. You have submitted to their corrupt hierarchy. You played their game. All because they boast a lot. And this brings up a problem that can truly plague any group of people. When a group of people tolerate harm from their leader because he or she is really impressive. And these leaders, in Paul's case, Make it known that they're impressive by their boasting. In verse 12, we got a glimpse into what they were boasting about. They were boasting about their ministry, that they were lockstep with Paul. And as we'll see in our next section, they were boasting about specific things like their lineage and suffering, things which probably would be impressive to the Corinthians, but are not impressive to Paul. Why? Because at every point, Paul can say, I'm better. But before moving on, I want to point out that Paul, as he moves through this passage, you'll notice that he's constructing this countercultural message, right? One way to summarize the approach that the super apostles take is to say that they boasted in power, which is earthly, it can be sinful and fleshly, something which is to be expected outside of the church. But where Paul wants to land is to say, we don't boast in power, we boast in weakness. One last thing, again, just to clearly note that Paul has in mind these super apostles and these false apostles, which is to say he has leaders in mind, but these five characteristics are helpful to keep in mind in any relationship you find yourself. You can think of it as Paul handing us red flags. Red flags are used to signal danger or a problem. And you can think of chapter 11 as a whole is like Paul handing us this big Hefty red flag that you need two hands to hold and on it. It's written boasting And he gives that to us and in verse 20. He gives us five more flags and On them are written makes slaves devours takes advantage Puts on air strikes you flags. You can carry with you wherever you find yourself Well up until verse 21 Paul is pointing out what foolishness is, that they've been letting these false apostles take advantage of them. And in the second half of verse 21, Paul stoops to their level, and he puts on his Corinthian clown costume to deliver his best imitation of these boasting apostles. And we know that he starts the parody in verse 21 because we get these interjections. And the first is in verse 21 where he says, I'm speaking as a fool. And again in verse 23 where he says, I am talking like a madman. Talking like a fool, talking like a madman. These interjections are Paul's way of saying, what you're hearing come out of my mouth is some certified clownery. This is crazy talk. No one should be boasting this way. Now what Paul chooses to talk about is revealing because it gives us a window into what exactly these super apostles were bragging about. And there's different ways you could slice this up, but here's my way of understanding what he's talking about in this parody, three things. It's pedigree, adversity, and ministry. So we're going to take those in turn. First is pedigree. That's verse 22 you could just as easily use the word ancestry. However you view it, there's some sort of emphasis on their being Jewish. The Corinthians, of course, are Gentiles. And to have some teacher boasting in their ancestral roots among a Gentile church is not surprising because you can go and read about the tension between Jews and Gentiles, the Jew and Gentile converts all over the New Testament. There's this memorable moment you probably remember in Galatians where Paul recounts having to rebuke Peter because Peter, a Jew, was comfortably eating with Gentiles until other Jews showed up. And once they showed up, he didn't want to sit with Gentiles anymore. Okay, Peter. And the reason Peter acted that way was out of fear. That's what Paul records in Galatians. But that fear was rooted in what other Jews would think of him. Why? Because there were... Some Jews who thought they were more special or somehow more superior to Gentiles because of their ancestry. Now, we aren't told if that's part of what is going on in Corinth, but we can say that Paul goes toe-to-toe with these apostles who are boasting in their ancestry. Paul's pedigree is as pure as theirs, so they can't discredit or belittle him on that front. And if pedigree was something that the Corinthians were impressed by, then Paul can simply point out that it's true of him too. They're not the only ones who have that background. So that's pedigree. Now adversity. From there, Paul spends the bulk of his parody talking about the, ad- the adversity. In verse 23, he asks a fourth question. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I'm talking like a madman. And he goes on to explain why he's a better servant of Jesus. He's a better servant because he's faced far more adversity. So from verses 23 to 27, we get this long list of difficulties that Paul faced. And we don't have time to get into all those things, but there are some general observations we can make about the adversity that Paul faced. And we can just notice that Paul begins broadly but ends narrowly, right? He starts with the panorama but ends progressively zooming in into specific instances. And he's doing this again to make the case that he can boast in a bigger, more impressive way than the false apostles could, if you want to play that game with him. So in verse 23, for example, he gives a general comment that he had often been near death He knew what it was like to stand at death's door. He visited many times. And from there, in verse 24 to 25, he gets specific. He actually counts out the times he's been near death. Five times receiving lashes, three times beaten with rods, one time being stoned, three times being shipwrecked. And then from there, he lays out a long list of particular dangers. You probably heard it when Dylan read. It's like danger, 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 danger. That's what Paul went through. So he starts broad and gets specific. And the implied reason behind this is that these super apostles were boasting, I guess, in their own adversities. And if I could relate it to something we're familiar with, it would be like comparing scars. You know, there's this great example of this in the underrated but excellent Pixar movie, The Good Dinosaur. For those of you who have seen it, you'll know what I'm talking about. There's this scene where these T-Rexes, who are also herders, are gathered around a campfire. It's got this deep Western theme. And the main character asks them how they each got their scars, because each scar comes with a story, right? And as each character, each T-Rex, retells the origin of their scars, they get progressively more heroic and dangerous, climaxing in the story told by the father, who survived an attack by a group of crocodiles. It's just so good. It's voiced by Sam Elliott. It's worth listening to. Uh, Well, Paul, in listing out all his sufferings, is pointing out that he has way more scars than they do. In comparison to Paul, it's like they're boasting in a few paper cuts. And his scars tell a story too. They tell a lot of stories. But the one that ties them all together is that life as an apostle is hard. You, Corinthians want to know what true apostleship looks like. It looks like this, being near death all these times, going through these dangers, not taking advantage of you. Well, the last part of his parody is boasting about ministry. Excuse me. And the answer he gives in verse 23 pretty well sums it up. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. The adversities Paul faced prove this, but so does his care. That's what verses 28 and 29 show us. There's this daily pressure Paul feels, a daily anxiety for all his churches. Because all of the things he just listed, danger, 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 none of that is restricted only to people who hold the title apostle right? He knows for those who proclaim Christ, those dangers threaten them too. And so he has this anxiety. And in verse 29, Paul asks two rhetorical questions that capture his heart, his care for others. Basically, both of those questions reveal his deep empathy for other Christians. Those questions read something like, if someone feels weak, I feel that weakness too. If someone else is led to sin, I burn with anger over that. So those last two verses show his readers that his ministry stands in stark contrast to that of the super apostles who are comfortable taking advantage of them. Well, verse 29 marks the end of the parody, and we can all appreciate what Paul does here. By talking foolishly, he's able to point out foolishness that boasting is a losing battle. There's nothing to be gained by boasting because as Paul has just pointed out, there's always someone better. And for those super apostles who had staked their authority and influence on being better than others, this was a punch to the gut because Paul has pointed out that boasting is a fragile foundation. By participating in this foolishness, Paul kind of pulls out the rug beneath these false apostles. He exposes them for who they are and helps the Corinthians see that those guys are unexceptional. Now I have to ask this. We need to go here. Is boasting just a Corinthian issue? Has the clownery stopped? No. The circus has been ongoing and we've had a front row seat. But not only that, We've not only been spectators, but actors. Of course, boasting can take many forms, and we each probably have a ton of examples that we could come up with. But for the sake of time, I'm going to narrow it down to two broad ways boasting works itself out. It can be either overt or covert. And we can be guilty of tolerating or practicing either of these. The overt form of boasting is what Paul is dealing with. These super apostles were publicly saying they were great and were also out and about criticizing Paul. They weren't hiding any of it. They wanted people to be impressed by them. And that overt form of boasting is something we do still need to be on the lookout for because Lord knows there are still grown men and women out there who are boasting bullies. But for Westgate, overt boasting is not really our problem. For us, I'd say the form of boasting that we're at greater risk for is the covert form of boasting. It's that sort of boasting that flies under the radar. It's the sort of boasting that can be dressed up as something else, a camouflaged boasting, if you will. But at the end of the day, it's still boasting, and it can still be foolish. Uh, here's a concrete example. It's an action that can certainly be harmless, but can be just as foolish. And I'm talking about the humble brag. Have you heard of this term? I'll give you a definition if it's new to you. An ostensibly modest or self-deprecating statement whose actual purpose is to draw attention to something of which one is proud. So you can hear in the definition, it's still a brag, but it's a brag you cloak in something resembling humility. I'm going to give you a couple examples, but before I do, let me say this. This form of boasting is still problematic. We might fool ourselves into thinking like, hey, I might humble brag, but at least I'm not blurting out that I think I'm the best person ever. (laughs) To that I say, not so fast. Because there are research, this was hilarious to me, and convicting. There are researchers and posters who have concluded that people actually prefer overt forms of boasting to humble bragging. Because as they point out, it's really not covert. People can see through the thin layer of humility laid over top of it. So here's a couple examples. I saw one post where a woman took a photo of her hand and she had a latex glove on. And the glove was totally intact, except for her ring finger, where there was a tear around her ring because, as she makes abundantly clear, her wedding wing is so big that it ruined the glove. And the caption read something like, gosh, I hate it when this happens. This is the third glove I'm on today. Girls with smaller rings are so lucky they don't have to deal with this. <laughs> well, listen to this one. Oh, man, you know, I wish I drove a Honda like you because this luxury sports car only takes premium. And as you know, gas is crazy right now. (laughs) I'll give you one more. Hey, what did you do this weekend? Oh, you saw a movie? Cool. I should have done that. I did this triathlon on Saturday. I'm so (laughs) sore I could barely walk into work today. (laughs) You know, those, those are silly examples. But they're forms of boasting that I would guess we're most susceptible to. And like the Corinthians, it can be totally foolish. Why are you doing that? (laughs) But we all do it. Well, after showing his readers how foolish boasting can be, Paul gets to the point, and we read it in verse 30. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness, that show my weakness. So in verse 30, he ends the parody and tells his reader what Christian boasting looks like. It's not boasting, excuse me, it's not power, but weakness. And weakness is what Paul is comfortable boasting in. So he gives us an example, right? This is exactly what he does. Verse 32 and 33, which, I mean, it's kind of funny as you read it, which is the point. One commentator points out that Paul emphasizes the manner of his escape more than the threat itself. You might get a sense of that when you heard it. He tells this story of a time he had to escape the king of Damascus by being let down in a basket through a window in the wall, an act which probably would be too embarrassing for these super apostles to talk about. But get this, even in this act of weakness, Paul demonstrates what he will say explicitly in the following chapter, namely that God triumphs amid human weakness. And we can say this because look at where it takes place. Damascus. Has anything important happened around Damascus for Paul? Oh yeah, it was on the way to Damascus that Paul met the risen Jesus when he had planned to kill a number of Christians, but was literally stopped in his tracks by God. And his life was changed forever. When he went from killing Christians to caring for Christians... And his escape from, from the king enabled Paul to continue his ministry, his gospel proclamation. And here's how one author puts it. I think this is so clever. Said, the king's attempt to silence Paul was as fruitless as Paul's attempt to silence the church. Right? All that took place at Damascus. And it tells us that in weakness, God is at work. In weakness, God is at work. <clears throat> And this brings us to the final verses of our passage this morning, which are the first six of chapter 12. And in my divisions, I decided to keep chapter 11, verse 30 and 12:6 as one unit, because I think there's a good case to be made that these first six verses are just reinforcing the point that he made in verse 30, that we boast in the things that show our weakness. Uh, But I'm gonna be honest, we're gonna have to be brief here. There are good questions to be asked about what in the world is going on in this vision, but we're not gonna get into that, because to do so I think would actually distract from what Paul is trying to accomplish here, which is important. Uh, Very quickly though, I'll just let you know, there's three ways that this vision can be understood. One view suggests that Paul is describing someone else, that he's retelling someone else's story, hence the third person, Another view suggests that Paul hasn't stopped the parody, that he's continuing it on. Uh, But the predominant view that I'm going to suggest to you is that Paul is actually talking about himself in the third person. And there's at least four reasons why, but I'm just going to give you one of them. And I think it's the one that was most convincing to me, which is basically that it makes sense of the next verse, in verse 7. Because we read that Paul in light of this vision, receives the thorn in his flesh because of these visions. It's Paul who receives uh, a consequence, so to speak, an outcome. Because as he goes on to say, if unchecked, these visions could have caused Paul to be conceited, to be foolishly boastful, which is really significant Because if Paul didn't get that divine gut check with this thorn, he wouldn't have been able to see the foolishness going on in Corinth, the very thing he's writing about and addressing in chapter 11. Also, by talking in the third person, Paul is exceedingly careful not to boast about himself. Although if he wanted to, he could. But in verse 6, he refrains from boasting so that as he says, no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. Although he could boast if he wanted to, instead he repeats the point. It's the second half of verse 5. On my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weakness. Weakness says. And so even with this talk of visions, Paul's emphasis is not to make much of himself, but to again point out that boasting and weakness is the only kind of boasting that Paul can stomach. Of the many reasons why we and others end up boasting, uh, is that we get to feeling like we got to prove ourselves, that our acceptance is dependent on the assessment of other people, because to get a good assessment in the eyes of others, you have to do impressive things, right? But that is a tiresome way to live, because the standard for what is impressive is oftentimes unattainable and unfair. It's something we can feel all the more thanks to social media. So I happen to give you an illustration of this. I happen to enjoy playing guitar, and if given a lot of time, I can learn to play a song. Uh, for example, another Pixar reference here. When the movie Coco came out, and I, w- I wanted to learn that lullaby, Remember Me? Perhaps you know it. It's so beautiful. And, but it requires a lot of plucking and finger work. I can remember spending like a couple hours just trying to play it like decently, <laughs> but I couldn't sing it and play it at the same time. It was too difficult. And after doing that, I sought some more guidance on YouTube. You know, see how other people were playing it? Um, humbling experience, because what I came across <laughs> were videos of children as young as six years old playing and singing the song. <laughs> and, and after being amazed at what these children could do, you know, I could think to myself, like, what am I even doing holding this guitar? These six-year-olds are able to sing and play it. And I say that to point out, you know, the Internet has made boasting an impossible game to win. Thanks to the internet, if you want to be the best at something, if you want to pride yourself at being better than others, then, my friend, you have to, the whole world to compete with. The whole world. That is a losing battle. And so this brings us to where I want to finish, which is at the cross. You know, the gospel, among many other things, is deliverance from the rat race of boasting Jesus frees us from having to base our acceptance, influence, our self-worth on boasting. And how did he do this? By weakness or power? It's kind of a trick question. But certainly to the world's eyes, by weakness. Even his own disciples couldn't wrap their minds around the crucifixion, not until the resurrection, because it is counterintuitive To have a king who is predicted to rule over all things be hung on a cross. But it is that counterintuitive weak action that secured our salvation. Our foolishness, our boastfulness is a sin problem, but the one person who could have boasted over everyone, who, as Paul says elsewhere, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, humbling himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The one person who could have boasted not only in pedigree, adversity, and ministry, but also divinity, chose not to. Instead, he humbly went to the cross and bore the guilt of other boastful sinners, you and me, which enables us not only to be free from boasting foolishly, but also to actually boast in weaknesses, in our weakness, to boast in the things that don't make much of ourselves, but make much of Christ. The kind of boasting that doesn't focus on our scars, but His. The kind of boasting that allows you to speak for your, speak of your inadequacies to highlight God's adequacy. Christ frees us from foolishly boasting like the world so we could boast in weakness. And by doing so, we get to glorify Him. And so whether you've heard it a thousand times or you're hearing it for the first time, consider Christ. There's no proving yourself to him, no need to impress him for acceptance. Weakness is what's required. A recognition that you're in need and he can help. Let's pray. God, again, we thank you for your word, for your Apostle Paul in writing this to the Corinthians, for this admonition to boast not in power but in weakness. That frees us to live how you want us to live and not to be embarrassed when we're not enough because we get to show that you are. God, you went to the cross, you humbled yourself, and as a result, you received true boasting. And you will continue to receive it. Where you will receive praising, where every knee will bow, we will be boasting in you forever. Thank you for this word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.